You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. As healthcare reform evolves, so too do the public policies governing long-term care facilities. How can healthcare professionals stay up to date with the latest changes in federal and state regulations? Joining us to discuss a public policy primer for long-term care professionals, how to achieve regulatory compliance, is Dr. Stephen Levinson, Medical Director of six long-term care facilities in Maryland and past president of AMDA. Steve, I want to welcome you to the program. Thank you, Eric. Glad to be here. To start with, we're going to talk about the goal or role of regulations in long-term care, and I think we need to be specific about assisted living environments versus skilled care environments, because with regards to these regulations, there are differences. They're a continuation of what they've been for several decades, and that is to try to improve the care and address specific aspects that are perceived to not be as good or as accomplished as they might be. Long-term care regulation has been going on for 30 to 40 years or more, and there still appear to be concerns about some of the care despite improvements in a number of aspects. And then a number of the issues that have affected long-term care residents and patients are also being identified more in other settings, such as assisted living, where many of the individuals living there or going there have comparable issues to those who have traditionally lived in nursing homes. So the world of regulation is continuing to expand in skilled care, even as we have this explosion in assisted living, which is also becoming more regulated, right? That is true. There was several decades of development of assisted living where it was put forth as a social model, in quotes, and more, much more residential, and there was advocacy for minimizing regulations related to expectations, responsibilities, and the clinical aspects of care. However, as it's been identified that assisted living is taking individuals with many of the same characteristics, risk factors, and conditions as uh, are going into nursing homes or used to go into nursing homes and are now going much more into the community, it's been recognized that uh, the same concerns apply about the consistency, appropriateness, safety of care, and the recognition and timely approach to conditions. The kinds of things, in other words, including medications, uh, that led to the uh, regulations and concerns in nursing homes in the first place many years ago. So are regulations helping better quality in, let's say, skilled facilities? And then how are they helping or hurting, or have they gotten far enough to help us out in assisted living? Well, I would say it's a mixed bag. There's been high hopes and expectations. Uh, After all, regulation is really the official implementation of law, which is in turn public policy. So there's been high expectations that law would take public policy about appropriate care and oversight of care and turn it into something that could be applied that would improve performance and practice. And I think after several decades in long-term care, nursing homes specifically, skilled nursing facilities and residential nursing home care, that some of the hopes have been realized, whereas there's still concern as to the extent and the consistency of performance. 
And so in some ways, it may very well be that nursing homes have improved in a number of the areas that were once of great concern, such as skin care and nutrition and hydration, but a whole new generation of issues, such as those involved in taking care of more complex individuals and those right out of the hospital, has now arisen and in some ways made it look perhaps like things haven't necessarily gotten better and maybe affecting or skewing the outcomes and the numbers on which some of these concerns are based. To some extent, I think also the inconsistency of oversight and accountability and correction of issues, in other words, the implementation of existing regulations has been inconsistent. And in assisted living, I think that the mere presence of regulations has at least given some floor under the expectations and the performance. In other words, you've got to set out expectations to start with and let people know that they're being watched and that certain things are being looked for. However, as with long-term care nursing home side, the assisted living side is much about consistent interpretation, application, implementation, and accountability. That probably has not been as consistent in either the nursing home or the assisted living setting, and therefore the accomplishments relative to the regulations are still inconsistent. Well, you talked about very early on that this is the implementation of policy. And then where the rubber meets the road is how facilities and surveyors and physicians and survey agencies kind of interpret or misinterpret these regulations. How do we bring this closer together? Well, that's one of the key questions we still face, uh, because if we've been regulating and legislating for decades and still have concerns about the uh, quality and consistency of care, then there's several possibilities. One is that we need more laws and regulations, which seems to still be a theme, a common theme, that if what we have so far isn't enough, then more of it might be better. And the other part of it, of course, is um, how we're applying it and whether the surveyors and the providers actually have a clear understanding of what the regulations imply. As a general rule, regulations are very general, nonspecific, and it's um, more detailed guidance and other factors that influence the interpretation and the implementation. So the regulations themselves for nursing homes are both federal and state, and for assisted living, essentially totally state-specific. So there are some issues such as training of surveyors, the frequency and consistency of uh, surveying, how much surveyors are allowed to dig into and how much the latitude and the leeway that state agencies have to make uh, or insist on corrective action, the degree and extent of sanctions, the correlation of enforcement with identification and definition of the facility-specific issues, and some correlation of all this with quality improvement activities and plans which would help facilities look for root causes of performance and process and practice inadequacies and help them target improvement to those specific root causes. So I would say, based on my understanding and firsthand experience and review of the literature, that one of our greatest challenges still is to get better correlation of findings and interventions with the actual identification of causes rather than tossing more regulations, more laws, and more 
public dismay at providers as a group and thinking that more will necessarily do what less hasn't necessarily achieved to date. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangelos, and joining me to discuss a public policy primer for long-term care professionals, how to achieve regulatory compliance, is Dr. Stephen Levinson, medical director of six long-term care facilities in Maryland and past president of AMDA. So, Steve, we mentioned uh, root cause analysis. What else are facilities and medical directors doing to try to achieve regulatory compliance for the benefit of patient care? Well, there's a lot. Often they try to do what they call best practices, which is they try to do what they think are desired or appropriate interventions. Often there's the question that's asked is, what will the surveyors be looking for? What do they think? However, really, there's not a whole lot in regulations and guidance that sets the standard of care or that is the primary source of best practices. So I think one of the key things that facilities providers and physicians are trying to do is figure out what are best practices. And a lot of that you can't really put into regulation or guidance because it gets back to a careful and thorough approach to each individual resident or patient, understanding in detail what's going on with them and looking for the causes of their symptoms and problems and then tailoring interventions to the specific individual. So whereas regulations and related guidance in any setting can give generalities or references or resources, it can never really determine what's right for a specific individual or when general recommendations and practices may need to be tailored for that individual. I think one of the big challenges in all long-term care settings then is not to rely too much on what surveyor guidance says and try to practice what I call regulatory medicine or regulatory long-term care, and that is trying to focus primarily on what the regulations and guidelines say, but rather to go after what's appropriate care for complex individuals who often have multiple coexisting problems and risk factors, take multiple medications, and may have vague nonspecific symptoms that could be due to a variety of causes. And so to me, regulatory compliance really focuses on good medicine, good nursing, basic principles of problem definition and cause identification that one can find in various texts and references such as for physicians, the gallons bedside examination and nurses, references such as fundamentals of nursing, where it lays out these basic processes. So I'm a strong advocate in my facilities, my company, and everywhere I go when I talk to people for putting regulatory compliance second as a desired outcome that will be based on effective practice, applying key principles of the care process, which is, uh, again, recognizing the presence of conditions, defining the issues properly, for example, not just saying they're falling or they're having pain or they're losing weight, but rather a detailed problem statement then looking carefully for causes, and then tailoring interventions to the patient or resident-specific situation, which is a combination of the problem statement, the cause identification, their coexisting medications and other conditions and risk factors, goals and objectives, wishes and values, and making a resident-specific plan that will then be in compliance with regulatory expectations in multiple settings. Now, Steve, you and I have been around since OBRA 87, which uh, set the stage for all of this. And 
We've changed along with the environment in which we practice. CMS does its best, I think, to try to get to some of these things that you're talking about. But in particular, what's happened with some of the regulations that address the changes in our thinking of advanced directives, tube feedings, end-of-life care, and really the complexity of the patients we now take care of? The complexity and the scope of care has expanded over the years, no doubt about it. And long-term care nursing homes, skilled facilities are having to deal with this sometimes on almost daily basis. Assisted living is taking on more of these unstable or higher-risk individuals for whom advanced directives and end-of-life issues are going to come up more often and questions such as, should we hospitalize them and what are their goals and objectives? I know that CMS is in the late stages of updating and planning to release some expanded guidance for nursing facilities on advanced directives and end-of-life care. Much of the literature, as I see it, has not really changed all that much in the last three decades. There continues to be much discussion about those and other subjects related to asking what the resident or patient wants and then choosing interventions that are consistent with those wishes. You and I are familiar with the literature going back a ways, and it really hasn't changed markedly. A lot of it is that it's a fairly complex process, and it involves multiple disciplines and individuals. And so in any setting, nursing homes, assisted living, community, or even hospital, which is not part of long-term care, but it's the same everywhere, there has to be a systematic, organized approach by the provider and the professionals who are staff and practitioners to make this all work. And that's not something, again, that can be put into regulations. Regulations, for example, say that people have the right to make advanced directives and make their wishes known. Regulations often prescribe procedures for who speaks for an incapacitated individual or what has to be documented about decision-making capacity. But in the end, the providers and the physicians, the staff, have to have a process to make this work. So as with the care itself, the clinical aspects of care, also the personal aspects of care, the psychosocial aspects need this coordinated and orderly approach, which will bring about regulatory compliance, but cannot depend on looking for details in the regulations themselves because they're not going to be found there. Well, with that, I'd like to thank my guest and old friend, Dr. Stephen Levinson. Steve, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Eric. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.